Welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. As always, please like, share, subscribe, do all the stuff you do to support the, the support the artists that you like, including uh, diction lessons. If you can share that, so I can afford diction lessons and say that sentence correctly. Anyway, joined here uh, by my Canadian friend Julie Kim. Hello. Possibly the first Canadian on the podcast. I'd have oh. to I'd have to look back and see. Um, but the reason I so closely associate you with Canada is because uh, that's where we last hung out, um, even though we met in Washington. Mm-hmm. Seattle International Comedy Competition. We did. We like did the. Yeah. Speaking of failure. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, Julie uh, opened for me in Vancouver mm-hmm. uh, most recently, which, speaking of failure, one of those shows was. Uh, <laughs> Was the, the the clip heard around the world for me? The uh, that crazy thing that got picked up by by a bunch of neo Nazis and mm-hmm. so fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julie was there. She knows that guy was an asshole. Anyway, oh, yeah, for sure, the whole time, <laughs> the, the whole time. I'm so glad that's over. Yeah, that guy didn't start being an asshole. That no. guy was an right. asshole forever. Anyway, good, good things came from that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we found a way to monetize their hate. Congratulations. So thank you. <laughs> so. Uh, Julie, you're doing well in the in the comedy scene in Canada. Now you're starting to really kind of you know break in in the states. You're doing more and more down here. Trying, thank you. Yes, I'm I'm pretty excited. I like to come down here because well, this whole state of California is bigger than my whole country, right? Are there really more people in California than in Canada? I believe so. Wow. I believe so. And also, even just your comedy scene's bigger. And um, I want some of it, so I've been coming here (laughs) fairly regularly, and I'm so happy that it coincided with your availability to do this. So I am very excited. Yeah, this worked out great. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder. So Canada would be the second most populous state in America, or the third? (laughs) I don't know. We'd have to look up because how many people live in Texas? Anyway, so uh, but we're but we're very happy to have you down here. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is, and we have a lot of comics on the podcast. But what's interesting is that your failure is not in comedy. Oh, I, I have had many comedy failures, but <laughs> yeah, I mean you're a comedian. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's part of it. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, but you had this crazy dual life as you were starting, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about it. I'd love to. So let's let's fill let's fill the people in. Okay, so I've been doing comedy for about ten years. So when I first started comedy, it was at the end of like this tenure that I had of working as this. Bay Street plebe is sort of like, you know, equivalent to like your Wall Street, you know, like all your moves about Wall Street and, you know, bankers and everybody sort of living that. So Bay Street is Canada's Wall Street. uh, Of Toronto. Yeah. And people in Toronto think they're the New York of uh, Canada. uh, I think Toronto is the New York of Canada. Pretty much. Pretty much. But uh, other people in in Canada don't like when you say that. In both a complimentary (laughs) and an insulting way. Yeah. Both. And they accept it both. Yeah. um, So like I. And their restaurants are open late. Which is so nice, right? Yeah. Especially as a comedian. Like, yeah. you're going to get hungry after you, you know, do a set and fight some Nazis and stuff. So, um, yeah, fighting Nazis, <laughs> it makes me so hungry. <laughs> it burns a For lot justice. Of yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I was uh, ending um, like a, a, well, a year at a big five consulting firm down there. I was working on Bay Street, you know. Wearing skirt suits and high heels and everything, and like trying to be a big deal and taking myself very seriously. And I'd always uh, kind of had. I'm going to stop you from hitting the table because it it keeps. Oh, sorry. I had always had this aspiration to like try stand up comedy once. Yeah. And just once, like as a bucket list 
item because people I people say always... the same thing about crack. That's the Do problem. They? Yeah, just want to try it once. Yeah, and I am hooked now. Yeah. It's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I had um, always wanted to try it, and it, uh, mostly because I had heard it's like the hardest thing in the world. So I said, yeah, let's try it. And so I, I did I did try it and I um, I took like a stand-up comedy course. But at, at um, a point in my life when I was like getting so sick of like the grind and working in this industry, it was like nobody was happy and everybody was aspiring to be basically a giant douchebag. Right? I have to stop you for a second. You yeah. were sick of a job that was a grind where nobody was happy and everybody was aspiring to be a giant douchebag. And so you went to comedy instead? That's a good point. That is... <laughs> That is the description. If comedy were like, you know, like when you flip to something in Netflix and it gives that little summary of what the movie is, you just summarize the comedy industry. You're like right, that's I what did. it was. Except that yeah. people outside of comedy don't really know that that's what comedy is. Like, oh, yeah. Right? Especially like you ever meet someone who's like never done comedy or just finds out that you're a comic. They think it's the coolest thing in the world. They have no idea of the dark side, the failures or the rejection or anything, right? It is weird. They either think it's the coolest thing in the world or they have no interest in it whatsoever. Oh, I have met fewer of those people. There's fewer of them. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I meet one, I'm just like, what's what's wrong with you? Why yeah. do you? Yeah, yeah. You like like I'll, there there are some people who like view it as like oh so you're a clown you're a, really yeah there are people who view it as that there are people who you know there are people who don't take it seriously as like my uh, my ex's mother uh, referred to it as my hobby oh wow I was like I have a damn television show. Mm-hmm. I'm on a billboard. Mm-hmm. How's your hobby? Oh. Well, there, there's a lot of people that think that if you're doing something creative or if you're not like on the far end of the spectrum in terms of being uh, wealthy or um, famous, that yeah. you're, yeah, that you are a hobbyist, that it's kind of cute. You know, when people call your act, you're, you know, you could have an hour and people call it your skit. Oh right? my God. <laughs> Rachel Feinstein has such a great joke where she says about her mother calling it her little talent show. Oh my God. Which is just, uh, that's the that's the most dismissive. It's yeah. perfectly dismissive of what it is. Yeah. And that is a lot of people don't understand. It is interesting because as as much as working in money is kind of hated, mm-hmm. it's it's somewhat more respected, I think. It's legitimate. Yes. In terms of like people's, um, paradigm of what a justifiable life looks like. Yeah, people will see it as like, oh, it's good, honest work robbing old people of their savings. That's right. Right. <laughs> like, absolutely. How is that good? Yeah. Yeah. If, but... if you're wearing a suit and you have a house, then exactly, then it's fine. Okay. <laughs> I've been wearing more suits lately. I've been oh, trying you do. To... I bet you'd look nice in a suit. Thank you. I've been mm-hmm. trying to do it on stage more. It's kind of trying to become a thing. You don't now. get hot. Uh, I do. It depends on where I am. Um, I definitely, by the end of the show, like when I'm taking pictures with people and stuff, I take the jacket off. Because mm-hmm. by then, it, you know, it probably gets hotter. But also we're in the summer. I bet it's going to be nice for me in the winter. Yeah, there are no short sleeve suits. There I mean, shouldn't thank be. God. Yeah, <laughs> there should not be. <laughs> Have you Don't worked in fashion it. as well? Don't start it. No, no, I haven't. But I, yeah. I've always noticed how interesting it is that like a man if he's got like a TV special or he's doing some sort of gala, we'll wear a suit and that signifies, oh, this is like a professional, professional comedian, but you don't have women doing the same thing. Women never dress up in like dress suits, except like maybe lately where they're like more funkier yeah. dress suits. The equivalent yeah, has more never like a hipster. been. Yeah, the equivalent has never been a woman in a fitted pantsuit or skirt suit doing comedy because then it looks like she's doing like a TED talk or something. Yeah, I've seen it where women have like dressed up in like a fancy dress or something. Mm-hmm. 
but n- yeah, never the. No, there's no. It's, it's, it doesn't work on a parallel kind of well, level. Well, maybe we're not dressing up for the business world. Maybe we're dressing up as if it's a as if it's a nice gala. Okay. Because then that's the a guy would still wear a suit, but which not is a weird. Tux. Which is weird that a guy will wear the same thing to like a fancy party mm-hmm. as they would to work. True. <laughs> like as they would to work in an office. Yeah, maybe a shinier tie. Yeah, yeah, but it's not the same. Like, like a a woman's office mm-hmm. outfit is very, very different than mm-hmm. like a woman's like like dress up fancy gala outfit. I think it also points to the fact that there's like more of a there's more. Uh, points in the spectrum of women's clothing. Yes. Right. Whereas you guys have fewer options. Like even so, I have a a, a toddler. Like she's she's two and a half, a little girl. My friends and I uh, who have little girls actually do have a lot of fun, like dressing them up. There's so many options, cute little dresses. Our friends who have little boys have zero fun. Yeah, just a much smaller suit. Yeah, yeah. Or like here's some <laughs> uh, cargo shorts and slightly larger cargo shorts and T-shirts, right? It's, it's just not as fun. And I think it uh, is a trend that continues into adulthood too. Yeah. That's, wear what you want, damn it. Right. That's the whole point. I think so too. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> back in back on Bay Street. Oh, sure. So I was getting sick of that life. I decided to just try stand-up comedy. So then like I um, I left that and not for stand-up comedy though. I, I started a PhD in industrial engineering. So you were sick of you were sick of working in finance. Mm-hmm. Oh, um consulting. Or consulting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were you were sick of working in consulting, and so you were like, "I'm gonna go become an industrial engineer." <laughs> were you just it sounds weird picking stuff that that like seemed respected by guidance counselors? <laughs> I hmm, I was picking things that would give me a new challenge. I still had not arrived at a point where I thought that um, a creative life was a legitimate path. Yeah. To go down. And, you know, I had bills to pay, you know, at that point, like I had a condo, you know, th- things like that. It bills I, to pay. So you went to grad school. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I, I, I was after something definitely different. It's not that I didn't like consulting. It's that I didn't want to be part of a big firm where yeah. I couldn't see myself ending up like anybody else who was there. And they were just like, you know, all having to like suck up and sell things and, um, you know, deliver on things that they didn't even really like doing or, or that had nothing to do with their passions. But at least um, seeking an academic life, like so at the time I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a professor. A big part of why that appealed to me was having flexibility in my schedule. Even now I can tell, like I love working. I like I like to work hard. I can work any time. But if you tell me to be in a specific time in a specific place and I see that that's my life for the next year, I will absolutely blow up. Like it's, it's not going to work. So I need that kind of flexibility and adaptability, I think. And I yeah. thought, oh, maybe I'll... Um, go back to school and like maybe become a professor down the line because I'd heard of sabbaticals and like what do you do when you're not teaching maybe uh, maybe nothing like I don't know I went into it knowing very little about it um, which was part of the problem because I <laughs> I hated it I hated all of it yeah yeah well I mean that's what happens sometimes when you decide to devote yourself to something that you don't know anything about that's right I, I have been very stubborn in the past about doing that and in the past I have chased things because I like the idea of them and partly because oh this is a, seems like a respectable thing to do or something that's nice on paper so definitely it, it was also seemed like the next step up whereas right now I'm more of um a fan by the way is this podcast supposed to be funny because I can just like I can riff more and throw in more jokes. I mean, I wasn't going to say anything, but, you know, a little bit. No, it's it's uh, the podcast supposed to be entertaining and enlightening. Okay. And it actually, what you're talking about right mm-hmm. 
the idea of you know of doing something because it looks good on paper mm. i mean maybe that's even the title of this episode because that i think resonates with so many people because there i mean i know so many comedians who are like yeah i've always wanted to do this yes. and yet didn't start till i was 30 mm-hmm. always wanted to do this but you know i didn't know if anyone would take me seriously mm-hmm. and that's just people we work with I imagine it's the same in a lot of professions. I imagine it's the same, you know, just the idea of people wanting to do something because they think it will be respected without realizing that, like, you don't have to do that anymore. I think so, too. But I also think a lot of people maybe don't realize or realize till um, maybe too late, like, what it is they actually want to do or, like, what they should be chasing in life like is what makes them happy if it's happiness or if it's like fulfillment in any one way and then just aligning what you're doing to that it's scary for people to go down a path and be like oh this is actually not me at all or not what i want to do and a lot of people you know by that time they've got mortgages or kids or marriages um and you know people that depend on them and less of a like a lower risk profile too the the thing i i always tried to communicate to my ex is that my life to me is about figuring what I want and working backwards. That's that's a great way to approach it. And so she's your ex because she didn't agree? <laughs> no, no. We, I mean, it's other things. You know, we, we're very amicable. We don't have to talk about but, that. But yeah, absolutely. We're not going to. <laughs> but the, although there is a, there is a website that someone sent me the other day where like someone wrote a gossip column about my life. That means you're famous, Steve. I guess it's just this Nepalese thing that they're trying that they're one by one. I think they're just taking people with followings. I guess. I guess I'm I'm famous enough for them to be stupid. The, but wait, it, it seems people in Nepal. The company was in was an it was some blog in Nepal because I looked it up and I was like, what the fuck is this? And it was this uh, it was this blog where they talked about. Uh, where they like went through all the stuff with my life, and they, I mean they got a lot wrong, mm-hmm. but they like they talked about like that my dad passed in 2004, which is absolutely not true. It was oh. it was uh, 2014, but he they also said that like then I took to Facebook for consolation. I was like, what? no, I wrote I eulogized him. Yeah, and and they also wrote a thing about uh, like my ex started dating her boyfriend like uh, a couple months after we split. And so then they wrote this whole thing about like, so maybe that's why they got divorced. I was like, <gasps> fuck you. No, really. Like, whoever you are, you're a horrible human being. Yeah. And I want you to die. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against Nepal, but I want whoever <laughs> is whoever those people are. Wow. Yeah, they're they're dead to me. Anyway. I'll help you find them. Thank you. It's horrible. No, no, honestly. I have a this particular set of skills. Culture, this <laughs> <That> this is, <laughs> culture happening on the internet and just like, and but but the thing is, it's somebody did that because other people they think other people are going to read it and so yeah. they're going to make money off of it. Yeah, which is right. why I'm not going to drop what the website is. No. But yeah, it's just not. a stupid thing. I guess you can Google Steve Hofstetter in Nepal. Well, I think um, people will now, but... Yeah, I'm sure something will come up. But, but most of all, congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Google will autocorrect it and make it Steve Hofstetter nipple, which oh. which other things will come up. Right. We won't get into that. But the, <laughs> the, the idea of pursuing something because you think someone else wants you to mm-hmm. is... That's a thing that a lot of people do. And so the the I guess the, the point I was making before I went off on these, you know, Nepalese leeches... Mm-hmm is the, like, I I always had this, I had this vision, I shouldn't say always, but I had this vision of like, here's what I wanna be. Here's what I want my daily life to be. Mm -hmm. I want my life to be 
waking up in the morning, making breakfast, walking my dog, you know, going to the park if I want to, hanging out with friends if I want to, etc. And I had to be like, all right, now I got to figure out how to do that. That's a great way to start it off. In fact, I think, who did I hear that also did that? Was it Brian Regan who said he know. just wanted a job where he didn't have to wake up early? Yeah. And this is what happened. Yeah. It's it's you figure out what it is you want from life. Like someone messaged me on Instagram today and said that they want to travel to see one of my shows. And they're like, uh, you know, what city do you recommend? And I just wrote back, whatever city you want to go to, man. My show's an hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The rest of the time, you know, come see me in wherever you want to be. I don't know you. I don't know what you want. I have I have a buddy who loves cold weather. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right. But he loves cold weather. Right. So he should go to and one I of don't. your shows in a cold city. Yeah. And yeah. so he like he is someone who he's from Connecticut and he, you know, and uh we were up in uh we were up outside of Detroit in Novi, Michigan on this lake mm-hmm. and like beautiful and these houses were nice and I was just curious. I was like, I wonder what these houses cost because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, a little outside of Detroit and at the time those houses went for like 150 grand. Okay. And I was just like that is amazingly cheap. That's a parking spot now. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, monthly. And so, <laughs> and I, I was like, that is amazing. And then as a joke, I just go, yeah, but you know, then you got to live here in the winter. And he just goes, oh, I know. Mm-hmm. Like in a happy way. And I was like, oh, oh this really? is weird. I've never, I yeah, because he, right. It's a rare thing, but there are people who have those preferences. Maybe it's a medical condition. <laughs> <laughs> he sweats. Yeah, he much. does. It's bad. Yeah, bad taste. <laughs> no, but there are people who prefer a rainy climate. There are people who, like, yeah, Southern California weather is popular. But there are also people who are like, oh, I could never live in a big city. I had someone once say to me, I could never live in a big city. And they were referring to Cincinnati. No way. And I was like, that to me is a small town. I've heard people say they love L.A., but they'd prefer to live somewhere where the seasons change more. Yeah. So they could have more of a variety of, like, clothing. Which is silly to me because the seasons do change here, just not as drastically, horribly, and biblically as other places. Right. It's like taking an even keel person and saying they're moody, but they're like, they're not. They just like grumble sometimes. Yeah. Like I think that's, yeah, that's, that's the spectrum. LA grumbles sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes the earth grumbles. <laughs> uh, and then it gets set on fire. So, okay. That's, the, yeah, those are the seasons. Right. It's, it's summer, uh, it's summer, fire, winter, earthquake. Those are the four seasons. Right, and sometimes they intermingle. You guys get earthquakes during the summer too, right? You just had yeah. some. Oh yeah, we had a Fourth of July one, and then a couple. Oh, other, I'm glad you're yeah. okay. Cool thing is the earthquakes put the fires out sometimes. No way. So, no, they don't. Absolutely oh, I was not. Gonna say. So if enough water comes, if a pipe bursts, uh-huh. I guess. Okay, <laughs> I want to get back to your. I want to get back to your failure. Uh, that you. sounds mean, oh, but okay. I want to get back to your failure. Uh, we're going to throw it a break, uh, support our sponsors, and we'll be right back here with Julie Kim. All right, so we're talking to Julie Kim about this weird triple life you led. Mm-hmm. Not even a double life because you were a Bay Street consultant, mm-hmm. and then you were like, now I'm going to be an engineer. Or a PhD. A PhD. Mm-hmm. So you were trying to get your PhD in engineering? Oh. <sighs> Yeah, because I thought I wanted to be a professor, and the only thing I knew about it was like, oh, I'll have to teach some classes, and I'm good at speaking. Uh, and do you have to get a master's before you do that? Yeah, I had a master's already. So you already had a master's. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, How smart are you? Like well, this is. It was obligatory. Like you know, in in my family of a lot of people who are educated, you don't get congratulated for going to university. You just don't get murdered, basically. So <laughs> university, you was like high school to other people. Yeah, I think Whereas, so. Whereas, like, yeah, I'm just going to go to... But seriously, like, I like to think of myself as a fairly smart person. You are. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. 
But at the same time, like the idea, I didn't do stand-up comedy because I, I heard it was difficult and I was like, oh, I could do a difficult thing. Like I did stand-up comedy because I heard it was easy. No, that's so funny. But you know what? A lot of people say that or they, li- they like it because there's, there's a very low barrier of entry yeah. to comedy. So you get everybody entering comedy basically, right? But then so many different kinds of people stay. There's that. Uh, there's a great line from Seinfeld where he says the problem with being a comedian is that your title never changes from day one to the day that you die. You're a comedian. There's no executive comedian. There's no <laughs> vice president of comedy. There's no. You're just comedian from the from day one. So anyone who's ever done stand up can call themselves a comedian mm-hmm. because there's no there's sure. no title. You could say that about a lot of things like you know musician, actor, right? No, because actor, there's Emmy Award winning actor. Oh, sure. And there's Broadway actor. Like, there are definitely okay. categorizations, I think, that are more so. Oh, but stand, pure stand up. But is just stand up is just, you're just a comedian. Unless you follow it by all of your credits, in which case, like, you, you won't have any. Yeah, but those, but those credits are all made up to begin with. So many of those things. <laughs> you've seen this guy on clubs and colleges, he tours yeah. around. Like, just, just say you've never done anything. Right, which which is funny because we talk about you know people doing things because um, they look good on paper. I mean, I think there's some of that in comedy as well. Yes. But partly, you you have to do some of that. Like, I mean, because I've started to headline uh, clubs now in like the U.S. and Canada, and some of them are easier to get into, and other ones will not look at you unless you have like a late night credit yeah. or or say there for Canadian say a just for laughs gala, right? Yeah. So at this point in my life, I just want to be a better comedian. But it seems that in order to be a better comedian and get better stage time at more clubs, I actually need those credits. Yeah. Right? Well, I started realizing something. Mm. So I'm at the point now in my career where, and I was pursuing clubs forever. And now I can sell tickets. Yeah. And because I could sell tickets, I went from these small indie venues back to the clubs. Because I was like, now clubs will finally book me. Mm -hmm. And I realized that wasn't financially smart. It was a matter of pride for me. That was ego talking. Oh, to win and get in. And get in in the places that ignore me for so long. With more leverage because now you're a special act. Right. But then I realized that like, now what happens? I go in from like a Thursday to a Sunday. I'm still worried. Are they going to like me? Are, Are, you know, this... Some server is an arrogant prick and I have to still be nice to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the I, I'm I'm worried that like, oh, if I kick someone out for being rowdy, are they going to get mad at me? Because some clubs are stupid like that. And some clubs, you know, mm-hmm. like they don't understand that like selling an extra drink isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to worry about all this stuff. And I recently literally like this past week, I came to the realization where I'm like, I'm going to. Go back to the indie rooms. Right. And and that's what I've always admired about you since I've known you, Steve, because you have built up the um, you have built yourself up to this position where you have the ability to do that. Thank you. Right. And like and it's something that not a lot of people can do. And I've seen you. I mean, when you were at Yuck Yucks, Lauren, the manager there, yeah. who's so awesome. She helped you sell your merch like after yeah, the show. She's and such a sweetheart. She's the best. But she commented to me that she has never seen anybody sell so much merch. She has never handled so much cash after a show. And that's what you can do. Like, I mean, and they have like, you know, 
international North American headliners there. Yeah. Right. And and like you're the only one. Although Canadians don't sell merch anyways. Like we're a very humble breed. And, and yeah. honestly, I'm going to start to change that. But um, you guys just sell Tim Hortons after the show. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you guys need some it's coffee? across the street. We don't need to yeah. do that. It's across every street. Um, but but you, you know, y- you were able to go in that club and sell so much merch that like it's pretty undeniable, too, that, you know, you're you're a good fit for, you know, a booking that weekend and that it's going to be good for the club. Right? Well, yeah, but there are still clubs who don't think it's a good fit. I still get I still get no's yeah. all the time. And yeah. I realize that, like, look, if I rent a small theater, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, 200 bucks or 2000 bucks or somewhere in between, which it usually is. Once I write them that check, they shut the fuck up. Yeah. And for so long, I was worried about what was good on paper. Yeah. And I was worried about the idea of like, oh, well, if I'm not out there headlining A-list rooms, no one's going to respect me. Mm-hmm. And I don't care anymore. No. And I think we do all fall into that, even in comedy. And it's mm-hmm. funny that I haven't, I didn't realize it was that until talking to you now. This is really, this is just, I, I bring people on just to try to make myself better as a person. <laughs> so I, but just the idea of like, for so long I was chasing this artificial notion of respect. Mm-hmm. And fuck that. I have mm-hmm. I have I have someone who went out and got a babysitter and you know and put and put nice clothes on and drove 2 hours to come see me. That's respect. Mm-hmm. You had someone from Washington State come see you in um Vancouver that night. Yeah. You remember that guy you sat right in the front row we made fun of him all night. There was a uh, we did not <laughs> do not listen to her. She's that's not true. Right. But but you know but that's that's how these themes are so universal, right? Yeah. And and people all in all walks of life and all different kinds of um vocations and industries have the same thing and it's these it's the human nature. These fake pressures that we put on ourselves that are not there for no reason right like yeah. we live in these structures that put these ideas on us but things are changing i mean i think people like um to um be entrepreneurial more than ever before like generally i, I have so many more friends that are starting their own businesses or doing things on their own or you know flexibly in terms of comedy too like maybe when you first started because i know you've been doing it longer for, than me there was more of a structure there were more gatekeepers and more like prescribed things and milestones that you had to do yeah. And all of that has just gone, you know, it, it's just been blown apart, like even in the last, say, five years with like people um, starting their own podcasts or like their own YouTube channels and et cetera, and like not going through the proper channels, which are not proper channels anymore. You can gain an audience in any way and you can do this in any creative way that you want to. And why wouldn't we be able to do this creatively? We're creative people. Yeah. Right? I have said so many times that like the most creative people I know on stage, off stage are a bunch of fucking hacks mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're busy trying to do things the way that everybody has always done them. And like an example, so Theo Vaughn has been a friend of mine for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And when I met him, he was the guy who had just come off of being on Road Rules and being on like the MTV Challenge. And he was trying to break into comedy and people weren't taking him seriously. And, you know, he's done TV. He did Last Comic Standing. And, you know, and then I think he had a show on TBS for a little bit. And he's done all this stuff. But it wasn't until his podcast hit. Mm-hmm. And now, dude's playing two, three thousand seat theaters. Wow, really? And just seeing his... You know, he's so busy, I barely even talk to him anymore. But seeing like his Instagram stories and seeing like, I'm so damn proud of him. And it's so wonderful to see that like, every now and then someone in this business truly gets a moment 
You know, like Tiffany Haddish has is in a moment right now. Oh my now. god, I love her. And yeah, and Theo is in a moment right uh-huh. now. And yeah. and to see that and to see that this didn't happen because some gatekeeper said, yes. "Hey, we're going to make you big." This happened because he made himself big. And now he's big enough that he never needs to worry about that again. Right, and how amazing, well, first of all, how amazing that like you can say those nice words and be proud of someone. I feel the same of so many comics and you're one yeah. of them. But Thank I you. think part of the reason why comics struggle also with like what to do is because of hate from other comics, honestly. Yeah. It's not a nice thing to talk about, but like, you know, where I'm from in Canada, Nobody, almost nobody sells merch. And um, like, if you're like promoting your own shows or promoting yourself too much, everyone else is like a crab and it's like, oh, you paid for an ad or you did this. And and like, for me, I've, I've, I'm so glad I bro- broke out of that idea that like my audience is other comics. Yeah. Other comics, especially like, you know, broke comics who are like, you know, in the local scene and never go anywhere, never perform or aspire to do that. They're not my, they're not my demographic, right? Like yeah. there's millions of people out there that are your demographic and that you have to, um, you know, aim for. I want to tell you a, a story when we talk about gatekeepers. Yeah. Like, so I somehow ended on the phone, ended up on the phone with Barry Katz last year Yeah. because I was like, you know what? I got my U.S. work papers and he always tells people to be persistent. Don't take no for an answer. So I kept writing him and writing him until he yeah. took my call. And then I'm on this call with him and he was very gracious and he sounds th- the same on the phone as he, you you know, has ever said that is Barry, yeah, and everything like that, which is so great because, um, you know, it just spoke to how authentic he likely is on his podcast, it's exactly how it, he was on the phone. And I point blank asked if he would be my manager, and he said no, now, <laughs> but I mean, and that's fine, but yeah. he also said, like, I don't even think you need a manager, start a podcast, start a video, start a movie. And like, I, d- I don't think I fully got it then, I think I focused more on like the rejection, but yeah. um, it, but he was right, and like, even it's even been a, almost a year since when I talked to him and it's only dawning on me now that oh shit I have to catch I have to do all of these things I'm I'm like only now starting to think about doing a podcast and do more video and things like that and I know I'm busy as but everybody else is busy right there's a way you got you this is the way to do it like it um and I think the confusion or immobilization for a lot of people comes in terms of like you know when you have so many options you don't know what to choose like analysis paralysis yeah um it's like truly you know, you have to figure out what you want to do and just go. And you don't know which one's going to hit. So you just pick something and move instead of standing still. And there's right? also so many people focus on the staircase and not the step. And that's a good one. It's, mm-hmm. it's true. The, the idea of like, think about learning, like learning a language or something like that. Like you can't learn it all at once. You have to learn a word here and there. And it, it even happens with comedians when every time I like I do a special and I want to write a new hour, and I'm like, oh my god, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. I have nothing. Mm-hmm. I can't. And you forget that that happens every single time. No joke is good right away. You have to work on it. And you have to fix it. And you have to, mm-hmm. you know. And like the half hour of new I have right now that didn't exist six months ago, is now starting to kill. And I'm like, oh right. I created killer material out of nothing, but it didn't happen in a day. Mm-hmm. It happens over the course of it. And like, you know, going back to the idea of these artificial kudos, I said for a very long time that what like I, I tried to figure out what is making it to me. And I always said the same thing. Making it in this industry is being able to walk into any club in the country, 
um, and or two countries right. and any, any club in the in the continent and immediately having someone say, hey, you want to go up? To me, that was making it. Because they know who you are. Right. Okay. But mm. last week I found out something. Um, recently, so there's a club in New York called LOL, which is, it's tourist trap. It is designed <laughs> for, you pass out flyers to tourists who barely speak English and you trick them into coming into the club. Do you want people who barely speak English in a club? <laughs> no, I actually have a joke about that, okay. about having, like coming up as a comic in New York, having to deal with the... Like the people who, you know, who the, you, they hand them a flyer and they just go, yes, oh <laughs> and then they sell them God. a ticket. Okay. I won't go into the whole joke. All but right. anyway, um, recently, Bill Burr stopped in LOL. To He was just running a set. I know this. And they didn't know who he was. <laughs> yeah, I read about that. <laughs> Whoever was working that day didn't know who he was. And he was like, I uh, sold out the garden. <laughs> and... They were like, uh, "Are you are you on the list? Are you someone's guest? Are you you know?" And look, it's just some dumb twenty year old doing their job. Yeah. But like, how do you work in that club? How do you work in a comedy club? Yeah. How do you work in a business in Manhattan, <laughs> like without knowing who Bill Burr is? Or if someone comes at you with that kind of confidence, uh-huh. to not just be like, "Let me Google for a second. Yeah, yeah. Although there is no orientation, you know, there's no universal orientation manual for anybody who works at a club. This could, it could have been this kid's first day. Maybe his job was to it was a, it was a guy like a. Probably, I think so. Yeah. We're picturing a young guy, right? I He's assume. Like, I don't know for I'm sure. Picturing someone really thin and unsure. Anyways, yeah. Did, did he did <laughs> Bilber say who, what his name was, or did he? Was he just not recognizable? No, no. He told him his name. <laughs> he told him his name, but also it's like okay. So you don't know comedy. Have you seen Breaking Bad? Have you seen one of the most popular television shows in history? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of other things. And I understand he's not necessarily household name, mm-hmm. but he's as close to household as you can be in this industry without being a movie star. Especially on the East Coast, like yeah. New York, et cetera. So, and seeing that, yeah. and I'm just like, oh yeah, I don't, I can't rely on what someone who, barely works in the industry. I mean, every now and then I'll meet like a comedian who's a year or two in Mm -hmm. and like they have no idea who I am and I'm kind of like, really? (laughs) Like, have have I not done enough yet? That you don't, in in my own business, you don't know who I am? Mm -hmm. Um, But I realize that like, that's fine. Like, that's perfectly fine because those aren't the people who decide if you're important. The people who decide if you're important, if you can sell 100 tickets Uh in 200 different cities, you will live nicely forever. Well, it's interesting that you say that because just this past week, I was thinking about like, because being 10 years in in comedy is a point of reflection. And I'm like, well, what is my goal? And I realized that at this point, my goal is to be able to do comedy for longer, basically, forever, right? So even if it's not like, you know, there's tons of people who've gotten like a late night spot but don't do comedy anymore or yeah. are not household names or whatever. Like I, I don't want to focus on those things, but I want to focus on becoming better and being so good that I can bring in an audience and like, you know, a, a command, um, you know, ticket sales, et cetera, be somewhat recognizable, but also be able to do this for the rest of my life. I think that's it. The whole, and I hate the cliche of like, it's the journey, not the destination. Yeah. 
But I actually do believe in it. I'll, I will say it. I'll just use different words to say it so it doesn't sound cliche. Perfect. This we'll is change the postcard. The funnest thing to be able to do. Like it for me, I feel like um, especially having like grinded it out. Uh, in some like different things and haven't yeah. been you know difficult and they've all contributed to who I am and like you know the way I think and stuff which is you know s- sometimes lending itself well to comedy um, is that I want to have a fun life I love this privilege of being able to do comedy and being able to take whatever you know shit in my life uh, you know and even if not that just like take anything in my life and make it funny and be able to like perform have fun performing make other people happy yeah it's a giant privilege so just the ability to be able to do that for a very long time is uh is my goal right now my uh, my new definition of making it mm-hmm. is not having to promote a show oh that's bigger than mine is is <laughs> no just being able to just the very idea that you're there is enough yeah yeah steve hofstetter's in town did you hear exactly like kind of and the idea <laughs> of like i don't need to worry about lining up radio or need to like that's the kind of stuff I would like and then the other goal is to never have to share a hotel room again Uh, (laughs) except with Walter it's yeah well Walter is you know he's allowed in the he's allowed in all hotel rooms in the bed yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. Um, yeah but just the idea of like knowing full well that and staying in the closest hotel to the gig regardless of how much it costs Oh, like there are little so things true. like that. And being able to fly instead of drive for like twelve hours or twenty four so hours. So that's one I've thankfully gotten now. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, and also you know, and there are little things on the way up. Like you know what, I can rent a bigger car mm-hmm. so that it's more comfortable with traveling with two other people and a dog. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Or even being able to like be on the road and eat healthy food, even though it costs like five times more right. than having. A beef jerky stick and a, and a Coke on the way, which sometimes right. is good. But, you know, having those options, I think. And that's what I think I have been leading to, like from, you know, one job to academia to comedy is just like being in things that give me more options, yeah. options for what I get to think about when I do what I want to do, when like being able to think about what I want to do. It's like various kinds of, of freedom, basically, yeah. with with the person. Yeah, I I have, you know. I'm not at the tipping point. I'm getting there. What what tipping point? Uh, you know, a, a tipping point for like I'm still pushing my career. Mm-hmm. There comes a tipping point at some point where someone where you stop making phone calls and they all call you. Oh, I see. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of the tipping point where mm-hmm. like someone like Tiffany, for instance. Mm. You know, Tiffany was someone who I mean, every year I remember the Laugh Factory Christmas party. Every year she would do karaoke when there wasn't karaoke. <laughs> I can totally picture That's that. That's Tiffany, you know, and like she was always looking for opportunity. And now uh-huh. I had I had a producer of a movie come to me with I mean, this is a real company. This yeah. is a like people who have made very successful movies that everyone has heard of. Okay. They came to me with a script that was a great script. Uh-huh. And they wanted me to help produce and they wanted to get Tiffany in it. And I reached out to Tiff. I've known her for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, about the time I met Theo, I guess. And I said, hey, I've got this script. It's really good. They have a very high budget. They're also happy to put you on as an executive producer. So if the movie does well, you'll make a lot on the back end. And she was like, yeah, you know, I'm interested. And she just had no time to read the script. Really? Because she is getting 
offers of five, 10, maybe even 20 million for projects now. Oh my God. And so she doesn't have enough time to do everything that she mm -hmm. wants to do. Mm -hmm. Now that's a crazy tipping point. That's a tipping point past the point. That's a tipping point yeah. where you don't know who your friends are anymore. Uh -huh. But like, but the idea of the day that all I have to do is take a phone call instead of make a phone call, mm -hmm. that's a huge difference because that's one when you could just concentrate on being creative. Yeah, they, these are great, very, though they're very measurable and intelligent metrics that you have. So it's it's very impressive that like you've actually thought them out, right? Well, thank you. I yeah. mean, I just want to like, people were saying, uh, you know, that like, so obviously this is before we knew what we know about Louis, but mm -hmm. when he was writing an hour every year, mm -hmm. I remember people keep saying, oh, he's so prolific. And I always thought, well, he never has to try to get booked. You know how much time I'd have to write? Yeah. If I could just, if that's all I needed to do? Yeah, it's true. And he had writers also. Oh, I didn't even know that. Well, I thought that I heard that. I don't mean to start rumors, but yeah. I thought that I had heard that. Don't mean to start rumors that no. might, that might Ruin uh, his create, reputation. create a bad <laughs> reputation for Louis C.K. right now. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I could I could go on about this and and talk to you for a very long time. Same. Uh, one of the things that uh, stuck out to me about you very very quickly is you are someone who and you know and I want to say this publicly and on the air you are someone who like goes out of your way to try to help other people, I and do. you absolutely do. Thank um, you. I played yuck yucks because you kept telling them that I should. <laughs> oh yeah, and, well, yeah, you're right. I did, but that, know, I also thought it was good for them. Yeah, but at the same time, it was good for them. It was good for me. Was it good for you? Who knew? You know, yeah, I was happy to have you open for me there, mm -hmm. and and you know, it got me a chance to you know work with you and really see your material more, and you know, etc. And that is a positive thing for you. Mm -hmm. But you didn't do it because it was like, oh, if I do this, then he'll owe me one. No, you just saw opportunity for other people where you saw this will make him money this will make them money they'll mm -hmm. both like this and i mm -hmm. should make this happen mm -hmm. and that is something that is going to help you in this industry oh, more than you. anything else that you have thank you that's nice of you steve i mean for me it's more do you ever did you ever read uh malcolm gladwell's book i forget what it is but it was the one where he classified different kinds of personalities and one of them was uh like an archetype where you just like connect people because like you yeah. see a gap or hear whatever and it's just this like i think comes from this general desire to like just help things sort of fit into place for yeah. the benefit of other people um that's kind of it. By I the mean, way, I have listened to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And boy, is he so... I like his writing a lot. Yeah. He's the most pretentious person I've ever heard. And that's coming from me. Well, his, so. his voice is very... Uh, yeah, I mean, he... Well, yeah. He all is, his he live is. reads are hilarious. They're all like... I know. They're all just like, when I was in the Andes... I could And, imagine. you know, and it's like, this is a commercial for mattresses? What? How does this have to... I bet he yeah. has... The, it's amazing. I bet he has the most tidy place <laughs> in the world. Like, I bet there's just nothing out of place. I think he has a rack... In his life. I think he has a rack for different eyeglasses. <laughs> like, I think he has, like, a specifically th a specific right. thing set up. Anyway, okay. In alphabetical let's... order. <laughs> By designer. <laughs> right. This was Warby Parker. It's at the bottom. Um, so tell the people uh, where they can learn more about you. Oh, okay. Uh, my website, uh, juliekimcomedy.com. I am on all social media as Julie Kim Comedy. I also am planning to start to, to blog and post more, and I will uh, someday 
finish the story about my PhD. Oh yeah, uh, we didn't even in, endeavor and, and well, I mean, it's kind of a long story, and I had fun, you know, just going on tangents yeah. with you, anyways. I mean, I can wrap it up if you want to, like, you know, I can summarize it really quickly if you want to, or I can yeah, let's do. You know what? It's a podcast. We can end whenever the fuck we want. So okay, so let me just go through this quickly because now I'm realizing like the cadence. This is only my second podcast, you guys. So if uh, the beginning was very uh, long and drawn out, and then I realized, oh, we should make this interactive and funny. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Steve. <laughs> Steve actually had to interrupt me a few times just to get his voice heard and I get it now um, so basically like I started this first PhD didn't know what it was about I didn't know till I started that a PhD is actually about learning how to do research academic research yeah I didn't like the research part so which meant like I shouldn't have been doing it anyways so anyways I failed at it horribly I failed my candidacy exam my professor also didn't help me but I like that much and he apologized for it later but I think it was also because he had lost confidence in me because I was like fucking off all the time to do comedy like literally yeah. I did like 10 open mics like a week that whole summer instead of um, you know studying basically and right. writing a proposal but whatever I was following my heart and I'm okay with doing that because I know in the end it work out if I'm just going to follow what I'm good at and um, you know uh, what 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 whatever makes my heart sing or whatever the hell. So I quit that, and then that wasn't enough. Okay, I found a different PhD supervisor on the other side of the country. So then I moved to Victoria, BC, where they gave me a second chance to do something that you know I argued was more closer to what I really wanted to do. So then I started that, and then I got further with that. I passed my candidacy exam, and then I got pregnant. I got married and pregnant. And when I got pregnant, one of the first things I thought was, oh, thank God. I can take a break from this degree because I had oh. been doing nothing anyways. The problem with PhDs is like nobody really monitors you along the way. So just somewhere at the three or four year mark, it's like, wow, I've paid a lot of money and I've done like nothing, you know, and if I don't do anything soon, I'm going to get kicked out. So instead, after that one year was done, I didn't take a maternity leave from anything else. But for the PhD, it was like, oh, yeah, I should take a break just because I wanted to. And right. then I was like, you know what? I do not want to spend my days and nights and weekends doing an academic study. I want to spend time with my family. I want to do comedy. I want to write jokes. I'm at this point in my um, comedy career where it's really going well. And I need to invest in writing material and performing more. And like, this is truly me. It's what I'm good at. It's what I love to do. So I consciously dropped out of the PhD. And that was just like last year or something. And then it's allowed me to dedicate so much more time to comedy and traveling and all of that. And um, yeah, I'm 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 exceedingly happy. Never looked back. I never had a second of regret. And I just don't know what took me so long. But I do. It's what we talked about before. Yeah. Right? It's it's the Everything. fact that you were a Bay Street consultant, pursued two PhDs, and realized that really what you wanted to do was just be a comic. That's right. Which is so funny because so many people just do that instead of going to high school. <laughs> I don't think I could have done that. And I'll tell you why. Like, I think, so I'm the oldest daughter of three kids from yeah. two parents who immigrated from South Korea. They owned a convenience store. They worked 15 hours a day. They didn't make a lot of money. We lived on top of that store. I slept on a couch for eight years of my childhood. We, yeah. I, there's no inheritance for me to fall back on. There's, you know, like my parents are fine now, as I say in my act, but um, I didn't have the option to be someone who took off at the age of 18 and not going to go to university and yeah. fucking find myself or go into the arts. And you will find this with a lot of, you know, Asian Americans or Asian Canadians. 
you just well first of all you're just not allowed to do it it's it's freaking ridiculous and 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 the arts are never framed um to you as something that's that are like viable options for the future i've got this one joke that talks about how strange it is though that asian kids are forced to play the piano and violin for 15 years but their parents also tell them they will disown them if they become musicians that's great right yeah. it's like cra- it's crazy so it's always framed as like this i always joke that what, what was a cr- like cross training for math and science like why did you even make me take that you yeah. know but well, I don't think I ever could have done that from the beginning. So I had to go through at least some of this. Yeah. And also, by the way, it's going to be really sad when we just edit that last part out. For <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I recorded it on my phone. Uh, the Perfect. <laughs> the uh, Yeah, the, the idea of like people go off and find themselves. You know where you're not? Backpacking in Europe. That's not where you are Mm-mm. as a person. And not at 20 years old either. Yeah. Like I, I much prefer like the eat, pray, love model, right? Where like, you know, wait till something shitty happens to you or like you've lived a bit or you have some idea of uh, idea of who you are and where you want to go yeah. and then find yourself or yeah. find yourself along the way, right? I, um, I think you should find yourself by trying different jobs. Anyway, yeah. we got to wrap up. Right. Uh, everybody go follow Julie on any and all social media. Um, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you to everybody for liking, commenting, and subscribing and all that stuff and sharing it with your friends. Uh, and tune in for another episode of Falling Forward next week.